So we've been making comments for five years now. That's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Hi, Desmond. How you doing, Sapria? Good, 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 good. So uh, I hear you have some news. I do. Oh, don't make it sound so official like that. Come on. Okay, I know, I know, I know. Give me something like I know, I know. All right. So, so what's going on? Why don't you? Why don't you? What's going on? Let's 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 let's, you know vibe a little bit here. Well, you know, you know that I like you, Sapria. I do know, and you know I like you. Yes, but I'm going to have to love you and leave you. I do have abandonment issues, Desmond. My parents got divorced when I was very young, but I understand. Um, well, I haven't even told you why yet. Don't understand. Oh, oh, oh! So it is because of me. <laughs> <laughs> I started Canada Land Commons with Andre Demise almost a year ago. Now it's the anniversary is actually coming up very shortly, and I'm afraid that it is time for me to go. And the reason is life over the last year has been really, really intense and crazy for me. Amazingly crazy in in, in a lot of ways. I would imagine blessed. I would call it blessed. I've been blessed. I've maybe too blessed. (laughs) And there's just so much going on for me right now. You know, I'm working every week on a column for the Toronto Star. I do a radio gig at another radio station. I'm working on my first book. That's so exciting. It's amazing. It's amazing. These are blessings. These are blessings. But it has become, with the stress of all this work that I'm doing, a whole lot to handle. And I'm I can af- imagine you feel like you're being pulled in a bunch of different directions all at once. And, you know, it's just everybody has to manage what's on their plate, right? Not in the good, like, yoga kind of way. Yeah. Unfortunately. Are you culturally appropriating my culture here, Desmond? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. No, I get it. So you just feel like, you know, it's time. I feel like it's time. I feel like life has made this decision for me by keeping me completely, completely burnt out in the last month. And unable to focus on a whole bunch of the things that I really need to and want to do. And I think that this is my body's way of telling me and life's way of telling me I need to slow down a little. I'm going to be scaling back on a few things, but I'm sorry that Commons is going to have to be one of them because I have been having so much fun doing this program over the last year. And I've been having a lot of fun with you since you stepped in for Andre. You know, you and Andre really started something great. Um, And I think to all our Commons listeners... I hope we can continue in a way that is true to the original intent of the show, only because there really isn't nothing like that out there, man. No, I agree. And I think that there's just so much for Commons to grow into and expand into. There are so many ways to talk, not just about like capital P politics in this country, but social issues that are affecting us as Canadians that we don't see in other places. And that's been the great privilege for me of this show is getting to go places that most 
political and social commentary issues in this country don't go to and having a lot of fun while doing it. And We've had many a laugh in this booth. We have on and off the air, on and That's off true. the mic. And I am truly, truly, truly going to miss that. But it's time. And I'm sorry to have to go. We're sorry to see you leave, but we understand. Thanks, Desmond. Thank for you. everything. Thank you very much to the listeners of Canada Land Commons. Thank you to all the lovely people who, not just in my city, but whenever I travel across the country, come up and tell me that they listen to and enjoy this program. Please continue to support this program and Sapria and whoever comes in this chair next. And keep sending your ideas and your feedback about this show because we just want to keep making a good show. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss for you all right so uh jane's back today i am hi jane hi sapria you know we love you but apparently you you can't really stick around because you've got a full-time gig as canada land's editor and you've been pulling double duty so we do thank you for that (laughs) it's my pleasure this barely feels like work at all so we're definitely working on developing new ideas and new segments but the core of comments will remain the same which is giving you a politics show that you don't necessarily hear anywhere else in this country because we like to go to topics and areas that we feel aren't being covered by the mainstream media and uh, we will continue to do that for you with or without Jane as your permanent co-host. <laughs> yeah, and while we look for a new person and develop new ideas, um, we're going to have, I mean, myself and a few other people filling in. But there's a lot of exciting stuff coming, so stay tuned. Uh, it will be great, promise. Speaking of which, I suppose we should get into today's show, Jane. Speaking of being great, let's do our thing. We're going coast to coast today, Jane, quite literally. In BC, the issue right now is that Premier Christy Clark has gotten a whole ton of money on top of being Premier. So she's gotten... $300,000. Yeah, that's not chump change. That's a lot of dollars. Yeah, that's that's a lot of dollars. This isn't necessarily uncommon practice, but... But it's still, I don't know. It's something that needs breaking down. We need to to take a closer look. So we're going to do that. We're also going to take you to Newfoundland and Labrador and talk to Alison Coffin, who is an econ professor at Memorial University, about what is happening in that province. They're panicking over their budget and the finances. Also, the Conservatives are coming up on a policy convention, and apparently they're going to pretend like it's 2005, and they're going to debate same-sex marriage all over again. Of course they are. I'm Spree Devetti. I'm Jane Litvinenko. And this is Canada Land. Collins. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. Audible has a library of over 180,000 audiobooks. One of those books, which I just finished reading, is called The Antidote, Happiness for People Who Can't Stand Positive Thinking. It hey, really spoke to me. Yeah, that still sounds like it's right up my alley, too. It's all about how your goals and your feelings don't matter. So get over <laughs> yourself. 
I would highly recommend it, and it is on Audible, which is uh, free with a 30-day trial. If you go to audibletrial.com slash CanadaLand, you can get a free book and a 30-day free trial. Okay, Jane, so uh, the Conservatives have a policy convention coming up at the end of May, May 26th. It's happening in Vancouver. That should be so good. Yes, I'm excited. You know, yeah, policy conventions are, you know, to be fair, they're not exactly the edge of your seat sitting on kind of things. But but with the conservatives being the mess that they are right now, it's going to be exciting. Stephen Harper's supposed to make an appearance. I wonder if he's going to be wearing sweats. Yeah. <laughs> Just because it's like, really, I like who, who cares anymore? I'm just right. going to wear sweatpants and these are my post-Twilight years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fair enough. I mean, I would. I mean, yo, I, I would wear sweatpants <laughs> every day if I could. No, but back to their convention, what's interesting, actually, is that they're going to be debating this policy that's been on the books for a while. They, they re-ratified it in, in 2013, which is on same-sex marriage. You know, it's 2016, so you would think... Oh my God, why are we back here again? What is wrong with people? That's a really, really good question. So they they are (laughs) going to revisit this. And I mean, it is reminiscent of the time of yore, uh, which of course I'm referring to 2005. But I would have assumed that this would have been settled by now, but evidently not. It's been over a decade. We can stop talking about same-sex marriage. If you've noticed, we've had same-sex marriage and the sky didn't fall. Here's the thing, though. If the conservatives rely on a lot of social conservative support, do they risk alienating that part of their base demographic, whatever you want to call it, from showing up to the polls for them in the next election, 2019? I kind of wonder whether this is a taste test the same way that during the election all of the racist stuff was, just to try to figure out where their supporters are at and less so because they believe in it, but maybe more so to just like figure out where they can find more voters or where they can strengthen their base. I just know that a lot of the conservative organizers that I know are personally very pro-gay marriage and and, and same-sex marriage. So I don't know. Now, that being said, my base is obviously in Montreal and Toronto. So Mm. I I don't know a lot of rural conservatives. I'm guessing there's probably a demographic shift there. But this will be interesting to watch. Uh, I hope they do the right thing. The right thing, in my opinion, right now is to get on board with the rest of of the country and and the times and to treat 2016 like it's actually fucking 2016. (laughs) Right, because the other option is they decide that they're against same-sex marriage. They come back to power and what, two decades after it was legalized, we're just not gonna let gay couples get married anymore? Is that the other option? Like, sorry guys, reel it back in. You can go to America now. All right, so let's go to uh, Victoria, where we're going to speak to Andrew McLeod, who's the Legislative Bureau Chief for the TAI based out there. I have to ask him a whole bunch of questions. All right, Andrew, so we're hearing a little bit of craziness out of British Columbia these days, with Christy Clark getting a top-off on her salary in addition to being premier. And you reported that she's gotten over 300000 from her party since 2011. How long have you been following the story for, and are people in British Columbia outraged over this? Yeah, I've been following this for a while. Her predecessor, Gordon Campbell, on his public disclosure forms every year said that he got money from the the party. And then when Christy Clark took the job in 2011, uh, her disclosure said the same thing. And I actually had an interview with her in 2012 where I had a chance to ask her about it. And at that point, she she told me that she had no idea how much it was and that she believed it was for a car allowance, sort of suggesting that it wasn't much. 
Then this week uh, in the Globe and Mail, Gary Mason reported that it was somewhere between 30000 and 50000 a year. Uh, that seems and, an and awfully would, a lot for a car allowance. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Do we so know I, what kind I was, of car I was she surprised. Uh, no, and for, for most of her official work, she gets driven around with uh, RCMP officers, right? So I, I, I don't know that she really has to do that much driving herself anyway. So for me, it was something I was paying attention to for a while, but had never been able to get full information on. I, I felt in 2012 like she wasn't giving me the full story, but the, there wasn't really any way to shake it out. The story in the Globe and Mail this week had them become more forthcoming with information, and, and it came out that it was 50000 last year. Back in 2012, when I asked her, it was would have been $44,900. Uh, and overall, since 2011, over $300,000, as we reported. So a lot of money, and, and yeah, a ton of money for a car Now, you know, this is a lot of money, clearly, but it's not illegal, nor is it against any party rules that she's doing. Uh, It's just kind of, I guess, questionable to those observing. So what is the big deal here if what Mm -hmm. she's doing is by the board? Well, they've been on the spot for questions around donations for, for a while. BC is one of the few provinces remaining that has no limit on donations from corporations or unions or individuals. There have been stories about how the Premier was doing you know, dinners or private events where they were charging up to 20000 a person. So this story sort of took it another step, suggesting the Premier was receiving a commission for that work. That's the word the NDP keeps using. Depending on how well they fundraised, Christy Clark was getting more money from the party, which, you know, would be not particularly ethical to be taking a cut of the money uh, you get for charging for access to a a politician. Has there been any evidence that that, that it is in fact a a commission as the NDP claims? Uh, I have not seen that. David Eby, who's the critic, uh, said it in a letter to the Conflict of Interest Commissioner here. The Commissioner hasn't ruled on it yet. The Liberals, of course, say no, no, it's not tied at all to how well they fundraise. This is a long-standing practice. It goes back to 1993 in this province. Other provinces have done it in the past, although the only one that still does it is Saskatchewan. I believe. It made some sense, I I think, in 93 when Gordon Campbell became the leader of the Liberal Party, and at that point he wasn't an MLA. The same thing when Christy Clark became leader of the party. She didn't have a seat. So in in some ways in those situations, you could see that it might make sense. But as time goes on, I mean, she's paid 200000 a year uh, of taxpayer money to be the premier. So I'm, I'm not sure it makes as much sense to give her another 50000 at this point. But of course, you know, parties are private organizations and they can do what they want with their money. Are people in in British Columbia outraged over this? It can be hard to gauge, but definitely like the comment sections on stories have been very active and you see the stories, you know, shared quite a bit. It's a very polarized province anyway. There there are people who like the premier and there are people who dislike her strongly and of course the people who dislike her strongly gives them all the more reason to dislike her. So yeah, my sense is is that that there is interest in it. I think there's also interest in the the wider question of whether or not uh, you know big donations should be allowed from corporations, unions, and and wealthy individuals, there is a push from the NDP to ban those donations, uh, and I think it'll be part of their platform going into the 2017 election, as it was in the 2013 election. So I think that's sort of gathering as well, and I I, th- I think most provinces have gone that way, and and I, I think there is uh, support publicly in in BC to go that way as well. Gary Mason at The Globe wrote that the Liberals laughed through the opposition's questions on this. 
A, is that what you saw? And B, do the liberals not realize that the public may in fact be turning on them on this issue? Yeah, I, I think Vaughn Palmer uh, wrote something similar and, and, and then suggested that, that they uh, got more serious uh, about it as the week went on. Yeah, I mean, that's often what things are like in the legislature. You know, the, a question will be raised and, and the first response is to laugh. and then Like then extra theatrics, you mean? Yeah. When Gary Mason wrote his original story on it earlier this week, one of the things the NDP said was that their leader, John Horgan, never has had a stipend or a top-up from his party, but they have paid for a few suits, uh, you know, a total of maybe $5,000 since he's become leader, something like that. So the response from the Liberals whenever Horgan stood up to ask a question was, nice suit or that kind of thing. So yeah, there was joking about it. By yesterday, I, I think the reaction was a little more angry. You had the Premier suggesting that if uh, the NDP were saying the kinds of things they were saying in the House, outside of the House, uh, that they might find themselves in legal trouble. Of course, anything said in the legislature is... Privileged. Is, uh, you can't get sued. Yeah, it's privileged. Whereas if they said the same kinds of things outside of the House, they might find themselves in legal trouble. So, so you know, they were getting uh, much more serious in their response by the end of question period yesterday. So in terms of the fundraisers themselves, uh, which Christy Clark's taking part in, the NDP launched a conflict of interest complaint about them. And then there were allegations of conflict of interest about the investigation itself. Like, can you break that down for us? What's happening there? So I believe there were two complaints. Uh, one was from, from the NDP, and I believe Duff Conacher from Democracy Watch in Ottawa put mm-hmm. one in as well. Mm-hmm. Conflict of Interest Commissioner Paul Fraser combined the two. I think at one point he said he was going to report out in another 10 days or so. But then with the stuff about uh, Christy Clark's stipend from the party, there was more material added to the complaint, and I think he said it might take a little longer. Um, yeah, the conflict, this, this goes back a while. Um, there was a previous time when he was asked to investigate something that the uh, Premier had been involved in to do with BC Rail, uh, and John Van Dongen, who was an independent MLA at the time, raised concerns because conflict of interest commissioner, his son, Paul Fraser, Paul Fraser yeah. uh, was a deputy minister fairly close to the premier. Uh, and there was so is there a conflict of interest with the conflict of interest commissioner? That has long been a question. <laughs> and, and, and on that one uh, where Van Dongen was involved, the commissioner actually recused himself. And I, it was uh, that one was heard, I think, by the conflict of interest commissioner from Saskatchewan or something. So, so at that point, he agreed that there might be a problem. And then on this one, uh, he did not. It, it seems to be more or less up to him to determine whether he's in conflict. I should say, too, that in B.C., I mean, there's there's a long history of conflict of interest commissioners who are unable to find a conflict. Uh, what? You know, well, well I, all, all I mean is that over the years, you know, many, many complaints. Uh, and I, I think in 25 years, there's been maybe one time where uh, – the commissioner found there was merit in the complaint. Successive commissioners have generally seen their role as helping MLAs avoid getting into conflict, so they, they try to do preemptive work. And most of the stuff that happens after the fact, they tend to come out with rulings that, for the most part, excuse the people who the complaints were about. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that, that that's what's going to happen in this one, just that, uh, you know, 95% of them, that's that's been what's happened. I mean, so- odds-wise, that seems weird to me anyway, in terms of probability that 95% of them would end that way. So does that pass the smell test to you? Are are there rumblings that the process itself merits some sort of overhaul? Yeah, I mean, there are people who would say that. And certainly when John Van Dongen was complaining about it, 
there was that feeling, and certainly H.A.D. Oliver, who was the predecessor of Fraser, had, had a reputation as being a very, very light touch on this stuff. I'm not sure Fraser has quite that reputation, but to my memory, I, I cannot remember him finding anyone actually in conflict. You don't hear a lot of Rumley about it. It's, 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 you know, the, the position is an independent watchdog of the legislature, you know, similar to the privacy commissioner or the uh, auditor general. Um, so it has that sort of official arm's length feel to it. I would say to me as a reporter, it sometimes feels like there's more interest in helping MLAs move past these kinds of complaints than there is in getting to the bottom of anything. But that's just my perspective as an observer. So is any of this endemic of the culture of liberals in in British Columbia? Because we've heard similar allegations towards the Ontario liberals here. And before that, the Quebec liberals uh, faced similar allegations as well. So is this a liberal thing? Yeah, I mean, tough to say. I mean, I think it's a, a politics thing. It's certainly interesting that, that in Quebec, I think they've gone to some lengths to move past this sort of thing. I, I think the kinds of payments that go to the leader uh, that we have in BC are now illegal in Quebec. I think they've put severe limits on donations. You know, they responded to that. Yeah, uh, I mean, they, same, same, they, they banned same. corporate and union donations and uh, under Jean Charest's tenure, they enacted legislation to stop him from getting topped off, essentially. Yeah, and and then and then the the limit on donations from individuals is down around a hundred dollars or something. Yeah, exactly. I think it's fairly low. Uh, and Ontario too, you see Kathleen Wynne taking steps to uh, make changes to who can donate and how much. I'm not sure that Ontario has a law against a top up like we have in in BC, but it's been made clear that they uh, they don't do it either. So I do think that this kind of thing was more general practice. 20 years ago. And, and I think most places have cleaned it up. BC seems to be a holdout. Yeah, when it started here, it was the Liberals, but it may have been other parties elsewhere. Uh, certainly, it would have been Progressive Conservative in Alberta when they had that practice. If it seems like it's endemic to Liberals, that, that may partly be because that's who who's tended to form the governments. So, I, I mean, given that Christy Clark does have a majority government right now, I don't expect her to enact any legislation to the effect of affecting her own salary. Is that Do you think that she would go forth with any reforms on this? I do not see any interest from them in doing that at this point. Certainly, when I asked her about it four years ago, she was dismissive about it. The pushback has been that, well, she does two jobs. She works 70, 80 hours a week. She's doing the job of the premier, and she's also doing the job of the leader of the the party. And I mean, that's not Uh, wrong, though, right? Like, she does technically have two jobs as leader of the party and, and as premier. Yeah, I guess the question is, you know, how much do you separate those out? You know, if you're paying her as the public $200,000 a year to be the premier, you know, isn't that enough? Uh, I think of it in some ways like paying police, right? You want your police to be well-paid because you don't want them to be on the take the way they are in some other countries. Uh, And I think it's the same kind of thing with politicians, right? You want to know that their loyalty is to the public, right? So if we're paying her $200,000 a year to do the public's business, do we want that loyalty split with the party? And and it's true that, that, you know, even if she's not seeing a commission from the party, the party's money almost entirely comes from donations. Right, so it's it's corporations, it's wealthy donors. So, to what degree do you want your politicians beholden to those interests? And in the case of BC, if she's taking in a total of two hundred fifty thousand, about twenty percent of it would be from them, and about eighty percent of it from the public. And I'm I'm not sure that's a good idea for the public interest.
So, Jane, Newfoundland and Labrador is going through a bit of a hard time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to speak to a professor from Memorial University named Alison Coffin, who's going to break it down for us. And this conversation is building really well on top of the conversation we already had on Canada Land about the same province, <laughs> Newfoundland and Labrador. And I really like that Alison takes a more economic perspective at what's happening and a deeper dive into what caused half the libraries to closed down and apparently stickers to no longer be given to children. That just sounds monstrous. First of all, we've heard a lot about your province shutting down more than half of their libraries. Do you want to just take us back a little bit? How did Newfoundland get to this point? Wow. Okay. That's a a really long question, in fact, but I'll try and keep it kind of short for you. This budget is kind of the culmination of a series of decisions and fiscal circumstances that has happened, oh, probably for the last five or six years. You're very aware, of course, that Newfoundland has gone through an enormous oil boom. We were leading the province in terms of GDP growth and investment and a whole pile of other things like that. And things were very, very good. And about partway through that, around 2008, 2009, they really started giving a lot of consideration to Muskrat Falls. I mean, the project had been started and conceptualized. And just for anybody who doesn't know, what is Muskrat Falls? Muskrat Falls is a massive hydroelectric dam that we are building in Labrador. And the intent Mm -hmm. was that Muskrat Falls was supposed to provide energy to the island residents of the province. And it was going to meet the needs of of the iron ore industry in Labrador, and then any surplus energy from that was going to be sold to other uh, jurisdictions. So Nova Scotia was uh, an aim, as well as other Atlantic provinces and the United States. So that was the general plan. And the justification for it was, well, because we needed extra energy and because the price of oil was getting so high, the cost of developing Muskrat Falls was justified because, of course, we needed it for the iron ore and the price of running um, one of our alternative hydro generating stations was quite high because that was being run on, um, I think it was Bunker C. So as the price of oil was going up, it was getting more expensive to produce our electricity. So what they did then was they said, well, let's go with Muskrat. Muskrat Falls because eventually that cost will be offset. Now, the thing with Muskrat Falls is that the justification for it was based on the very outer edges of um, high prices of oil. So when we actually went to look to sanction this, they were looking at prices of oil between 110, 120, going up even higher than that in the immediate future. So this was before the oil collapse. And Muskrat Falls was an enormous cost. I think the original budget was $6.8 billion, uh, billion, not wow. billion, of course. Since that time, the uh, commodities are now Natural resources have decreased, so the iron ore in Labrador has largely uh, slowed down. A lot of that has been um, curtailed as a result of low prices for iron ore. And of course, as the price of oil has gone down, then that meant that the cost benefits associated from Muscat Falls were diminished. What's happened now is that there's been uh, enormous cost overruns in Muscat Falls, so the price has gone up substantially, and there's been lots of delays, so additional costs associated with delays. So all of that has left Newfoundland on the hook. And on top of that, the price of oil has gone down. So what happens is our revenues have substantially decreased, 
um, our cost, our total expenditures have gone up quite substantially, largely as a result of the cost of muskrat faults going up. So that's kind of where we are with that. There's a whole pile of other things that have gone on in terms of provincial government has been spending a lot of money, and that money largely has gone to muskrat and infrastructure investment. But there's also been large increases in salaries. There's been large staff increases. There's been large program increases. So there's been within in, the public service itself. In the public service itself, yes, yes, and that's the entire public service. So we're talking about uh, schools and hospitals and public safety, everything, right? So just large, large increases in public expenditures. So when you got expenditures going up substantially and your revenues going down substantially, then you create an enormous deficit. When Muskrat Falls was started, the Auditor General had warned that there was going to be potential problems for taxpayers and ratepayers, which is anyone living in the province, of course. And then the Auditor General has also been warning that we are overspending. So there has been a, an expenditure issue that has gone on. I think the Auditor General has been saying this since about 2008, maybe 2007. In your view, was this the Auditor General is like pulling out all these warning signs and then the government knowingly just ignored them, essentially? Uh, we can call it that, yes. <laughs> they chose not to act on the recommendations of the Auditor General. How about that? You've got to think about this in terms of politics as well as governance. I mean, politicians, when we, when they put out the Auditor General's report, it often is timed uh, so that it comes out around about Christmas, and at Christmas time no one's really interested in reading an Auditor General's report and a report on the public accounts. So that often goes quite quietly by the wayside and doesn't get a lot of fanfare. And then when we go to the budget, the budget, of course, look at all these great things we're doing. This is why we have to do them. And, and this is where our money's going. And then they say that our money going into Muskrat Falls is an infrastructure investment. So the language that is used in government promoting its ideas and its policy decisions is often a little bit different than what the Auditor General says. And unless you're paying attention to that, it's very easy to miss some of these points. So, so it seems like there's a lot of factors that built up to the horrible financial situation the province right now and the library is shutting down but yes. what else is on the chopping block oh my well all kinds of things i mean really <laughs> i mean technically government doesn't have to provide a whole lot of services right they can put one grade schools in every rural community if they want they can privatize our liquor corporation they can privatize healthcare delivery all of these things could go away but one of the other things that you're hearing is uh, part of the budget took out uh, what was it stickers and snacks for kids at the Janeway. So, you know, those little... So <laughs> I know, well, somebody right? think of the children. <laughs> the children need their stickers. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then we're taking, you know, we're taxing books and we're taking libraries out of schools. And and what we're hearing now with the, the, you know, the kids not getting their libraries is that they want to redesign how they want to deliver library services. But that wasn't mentioned in the budget. So there's a bit of a PR thing going on there as well, right? It Seems like an odd place to find cuts. Now, what I've read, and you know, again, there's an enormous amount of information out there. And I haven't had time to consume all of it. But when you start going through the cuts to departments and how the fee changes are, they do list some things. Now, I don't remember exactly what it was when they said we're going to cut the libraries. But the justification for a lot of the cuts have been because we want to improve efficiencies in that particular service delivery area. So this generic statement of why we're doing it. Or mm -hmm. because it's not done in other jurisdictions 
jurisdictions, which is also a kind of generic statement to justify stuff, as opposed to saying things like, well, we're not reaching kids with the format that we have now with libraries, so we'd like to try another method, and this is how we would like to do it. It's not being thought out quite like that. Of course, we've just had an election back uh, last fall, and, and that election platform, well, the Liberals were elected on that platform where they said, well, we're going to have diversification, we're going to see that uh, we're going to get um, greater revenues through different areas, we're going to promote business investment, and a whole pile of other things like that. And you ran in that election also, I right? did, I did. For that the NDP. Was, was yeah. Okay, and I'll tell you now, the reason I chose to run in the election is not because I, I'm politically inclined, it's because I believe in good governance and because I know that a lot of the decisions that had been made up until now were going to put us in the place where we are right now. So if you were in power right now, um, let's play my favorite game of hypotheticals. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, How how would you go about digging Newfoundland and Labrador out of this hole? Oh, okay. That's a really good and big, big question, which I don't have a a total answer for. One, partly because I'm not in charge and I haven't got access to all that same information. And and I don't mean to do this as a political thing. I mean, this is is more of an economist thing and a Newfoundland and Labradorian thing. Like, you know, I'm from this province. I believe in this place and I want to see it get better. But if I was in charge, I think I would take a more longer term view of where do we want to be in five years? Well, we would like to get the deficit under control. We would like to have Newfoundland less reliant on oil. So we really need to give some serious thought about how we want to diversify and where we can diversify and how we can promote small businesses and maybe our export business. And and Newfoundland right now is, is lacking in productivity and innovation. We don't do a lot in that respect. So you need to focus on that kinds of things. And how can Newfoundland capture that? There needs to be a reorganization of the labor market to better suit the needs. And and that's a tricky thing, um, but it still needs to be there. And and there needs to be that long-term investment in what do we want Newfoundland to look like five years from now? What I see happening is there seems to be a single-minded goal of we need to get to a zero deficit. So we're going to trim our expenditures, we're going to find revenues where we can, and and in the end we'll, we'll be at a zero balance and that's what we're aiming for, and whatever else happens along the way will be okay. In the budget speech there was a discussion of we got here because of oil volatility. And, and again, the Auditor General was warning of that. So we got here because of the oil volatility in the short and the medium term. And then the speech goes on to say, well, in the long term, we're going to be okay because we've got deep water offshore oil resources. So it kind of says, well, everything is volatile, but that's going to settle out and, and we're going to move back into something that's also volatile. Alison, given that the federal government right now is, is considering a billion dollar bailout or investment or what have you of Bombardier, and, you know, we're talking a whole lot right now about what's ailing Newfoundland and Labrador. Is there a sense on the ground in, in Newfoundland that the province is being overlooked by the federal government and the rest of the country if they are, in fact, considering investing a billion dollars in, in, in a private corporation? I, I hear a little bit of that. Um, certainly uh, in the lead up to the budget, we certainly had some of our federal MPs that were talking about uh, increasing our infrastructure funds. I think Judy Foote certainly uh, contributed to negotiating for some infrastructure dollars. I think there's been some other discussions of that. So there's money coming into the province. I haven't heard this comparison to Bombardier, but you have to remember now that uh, when the fishery collapsed, we got an enormous bailout from the federal government. And I think that probably happened as a result of the mismanagement of the fishery, which was not entirely the provincial government's fault. That was largely a federal thing. So that's why we got money in for that. I think now the sentiment is, yes, there should be more federal money coming in. There is some coming in for 
infrastructure, and that's great. Um, and those are often cost-shared projects. James McLeod, who's a Telegram reporter, tweeted that mm-hmm. maybe we should just rename the province Bombardier. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's the solution right we're, there. <laughs> we're going to need more than a billion dollars, just to be, just to be clear about that. <laughs> Alison Coffin, thank you very much. Economics professor at Memorial University in Newfoundland. Definitely <laughs> taught us a lot. Thank you. <laughs> wow, you are more than welcome. I thought we could go on for longer. But no, that's fabulous. Fabulous. Good. And that's our show this week. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook by typing in Canada Land Commons into that little search bar. Our producer is Kevin Sexton. Thanks, Kevin. That great music you've been hearing is produced by Nathan Burley. You can find us on CanadaLandShow.com. Uh, you can email me at Jane at CanadaLandShow.com. And Sapria, you're going to have an email soon. Yeah, but until then, you can email Jane to email me. <laughs> it's all going to go into a void. Uh, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show... And su- we know you do. We know you do. Support us with your money on Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. I'm sorry, I just like the image of Harper in sweatpants. <laughs> it's like, what kind of sweatpants would he wear? I think they would be like the old school Adidas snap pants. Do you know what I mean? Because oh, that's, God, no. that's what I feel like he would wear. No, no, no. What, what university just, did he go to? Like, it would have to be like university swag. So, I, you know, he went to the University of Calgary. Uh, so maybe the sweatpants he'll be wearing are the ones that say Calgary on his behind. Oh, amazing. Yes. So we've been making comments for five years now. It's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a CanadaLand supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to CanadaLand.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer.